If you're enjoying Bradbury 100, please search for my YouTube channel, Bradbury 101, where I review Ray's books and films. And why not check out my other podcast, Science Fiction 101, where we explore science fiction from all angles. Find Science Fiction 101 wherever you get your podcasts. This is Bradbury 100, celebrating the life and work of American writer Ray Bradbury. I'm Phil Nichols of bradburymedia.co.uk. Welcome to Bradbury 100 once again. This time we're going to take a look at a brand new book called Home to Stay, the complete Ray Bradbury EC stories. Now this is a new volume which collects together all of the comic strips from EC Comics based on Bradbury stories. Stories which were adapted originally in the 1950s. Now you might think that comics are ephemeral, but Certainly in the case of the Bradbury stories, that's turned out to be far from the case. Not only were the stories adapted for these 1950s comics, the adaptations were sometimes reprinted in comics and collected in books. Plus there have been retrospective collections of EC comics published in book form, and in the 1990s, Ray Bradbury even had his own line of comic books, which included new adaptations of his stories and also some of the best EC Comics adaptations. And now we have this new book, Home to Stay, the complete Ray Bradbury EC stories, which gathers them all together and organises them rather nicely. So let's take a look at the history of Ray Bradbury and EC Comics. There's a great book from 2002 called Bradbury and Illustrated Life, which was put together by Jerry Wiest. And if you've never seen it, it's really a visual celebration of Bradbury's work. Lots of lavishly reproduced artwork from the covers of his books, various magazine appearances and so on. And that book, Bradbury and Illustrated Life, has a chapter called EC Comics and Ray Bradbury, the untold story. Now, that might be a slight exaggeration to call it an untold story, but I do remember back in 2002 when I first picked up the book that most of what was in this chapter was new to me. So although it's not totally untold, I do think most readers will be enlightened by what Jerry Wiest has to say. And he basically tells the story of Ray and EC and he reproduces some of the correspondence, the letters that went between Ray and the editors and the publisher. So 1952, Ray writes to EC Comics. Somebody's tipped him off that his stories are appearing in this comic and Ray didn't know about it. So Ray writes to EC Comics and this is quoting from the letter. Dear sir, just a note to remind you of an oversight you have not as yet sent on the cheque for $50 to cover the use of secondary rights on my two stories, The Rocket Man and Kaleidoscope, 
which appeared in your Weird Fantasy May-June 1952 issue, with the overall title of Home to Stay. I feel this was probably overlooked in the general confusion of office work, and look forward to your payment in the near future. My very best wishes to you, Ray Bradbury. And then he puts in a PS where he suggests they might want to do a whole run of his stories in the future. And Jerry Wiest in Bradbury and Illustrated Life gives us the reply and some of the following correspondence as well. This is what William M. Gaines, the managing editor of EC Comics, and Al Feldstein, the actual editor, had to say in response. They wrote, Dear Mr Bradbury, we are extremely flattered to learn that you feel our home to stay, which appeared in Weird Fantasy, is an adaptation of your two stories, The Rocket Man and Kaleidoscope. Although we do not agree with your conclusions, we are completely disinclined to quibble with one who writes as charming a letter as yours, so we are enclosing our cheque for $50 without intending to agree with your contentions. We are most happy to learn that you are a reader of Weird Fantasy. We've read several of your stories in the past and have nothing but the very greatest of admiration for you and for your writings. We too would be most interested in working with you and enthusiastically invite you to drop in and chat about it the next time you are in New York. And then, as I say, Jerry Wiest reproduces the rest of the correspondence, the ongoing correspondence between Ray and the publishers. And he also includes some of the best artwork from EC Comics, some of the covers, some of the individual panels from the comic strips. And all of this is well worth checking out if you're interested in this little byway of Bradbury's career. And the section concludes with an interview with Al Feldstein, the editor, where, among other things, Feldstein says that the main method for choosing which Bradbury stories to adapt was a matter of, and I quote, sheer emotional reaction, delight in their plot and their mood and content. In total, EC published something like 30 Bradbury stories, plus some like those we've just heard about, the rip-offs, or maybe we should say homages to Bradbury. Uh, most of these were in black and white. Occasionally some appeared in colour, and sometimes Ray's stories were put on the cover of the comic, so you get a full colour painting representing a Bradbury story. And that might have been it. As I said before, comics are considered to be ephemeral. Do you remember what happened to your childhood comics? I certainly don't remember what happened to mine. They were thrown away, I'm sure. Except, in this case, in the 1960s, the EC strips were kept alive by being put into a pair of paperback books called The Autumn People and Tomorrow Midnight. These were standard-sized paperback books with Ray Bradbury's name on the cover, and the comic strips in them were printed in a landscape form. So when you open the cover of the book, you find yourself turning the book through 90 degrees to be able to read the comic strips. Now that means that they're not reproducing the original layout of the original comic strips. So in those books, The Autumn People, Tomorrow Midnight, you're not getting the full experience of reading an EC comic, but the content is all there, you know, the storytelling and the visuals. Another place you could see some of the EC comic strips was in the old Ray Bradbury comics. Now, I admit to being slightly surprised that these are not as well known as they could be. They were published by Topps 
and Byron Price in the 1990s. There were a whole load of them and they featured new material and often they would include one of the EC adaptations as a reprint. For example, I have in front of me at the moment issue two of Ray Bradbury Comics and this has three horror stories within it and those stories are It Burns Me Up, Touched by Fire and what it calls an EC classic, The Black Ferris. As you probably know, The Black Ferris is the short story that became the basis of Something Wicked This Way Comes. Ray Bradbury Comics didn't do this with every issue, but they did it from time to time. And sometimes they reproduced them in colour, because the Ray Bradbury comics were primarily a colour comic. And The Black Ferris is an example of this. It's in colour, even though in the original EC comic, I believe it was in black and white. So now we get to this new book, Home to Stay, and it collects all of these EC comic stories together. And one thing that I very much like about this book is that it places the works in context. And for me, this is very important. I don't like books which just gather together lots of material and present them to you and say, there you are, because I always want to know what it is I'm looking at, how it came to be, why it is the way it is. So I like to see an introduction, a foreword, an afterword, a contextual essay, and even, dare I say it, footnotes. Well, that's what you get in Home to Stay. Not too many footnotes, I hasten to add, but you do get an introductory essay by Greg Bear, the well-known science fiction writer, where he talks about his relationship with Ray, seeing Ray giving public talks, getting to know how Ray's mind works. Then there's an article by Ben Saunders called Love and Theft, When Ray Met Bill and Al. And this is an article which talks about Ray's relationship to EC Comics, pretty much retelling that untold story which Jerry Wiest had already published back in 2002. But this article also talks about the publisher, Bill Gaines, who is quoted as saying, we swiped his stories and he caught us. And the very title of this new book, Home to Stay, is of course taken from one of those acts of homage, plagiarism, call it what you will. It's Al Feldstein and Wally Wood's strip, Home to Stay, from EC Comics, which was clearly ripping off Kaleidoscope and The Rocket Man. Also in Home to Stay is an article by J. Michael Catron called Ray's Way, which is just a brief piece which gives the rationale for why the book, Home to Stay, is organised the way that it is. It points out that Ray's stories were published in EC Comics originally in a, a really very haphazard way, with no particular logic to them, no sequence. But the book groups them according to where the original story most famously appeared. So let me talk you through those groupings now. The first grouping is of stories which first appeared in Dark Carnival. So these are The Lake, The Assassin, The Handler, The Coffin, Let's Play Poison, and There Was an Old Woman. In terms of EC Comics, these appeared all over the place, from The Coffin, which appeared in the November-December 1952 issue of Haunt of Fear, through to June-July 1953 issues of Vault of Horror and Tales from the Crypt. But in Home to Stay, they're grouped together as dark carnival stories. 
Then after the dark carnival stories, they gather what they call dark carnival variations. So these are stories which were not credited to Ray, but they're clearly based on Bradbury's stories. And I'll give you the full list. Just Desserts, which is really Ray's story, The Smiling People. There's What the Dog Dragged In, which is really The Emissary. There's A Strange Undertaking, which is really The Handler. And Model Nephew, uh, which is really The Coffin. And A Work of Art, which is also really The Coffin. But it's a different version. And there's A Lesson in Anatomy which is really The Man Upstairs. So a whole bunch of official adaptations of Bradbury stories from Dark Carnival and nearly as large a batch of stories which were ripped off. Now this incidentally reminds me of a little issue in the field of adaptation studies. That's where academics like me analyse how, let's say, books get translated into film and vice versa. There's a book called Theory of Adaptation by Linda Hutchin, and it's quite a well-known book. It's quite a readable book as well, actually. It's not highly academic. But Linda Hutchin defines an adaptation as a deliberate, announced and extended revisitation of a prior work. So normally, if somebody makes a film based on a book, well, it's deliberate because they consciously are trying to make a film from the book. It's announced because somewhere in the credits, somewhere on the poster, it will say, based on the book, by. It's extended in the sense that it's not just somebody taking a small scene or a single image from the book, but making a full-length work in its own right. So just as the book tells a story from beginning through to end, so the film tells more or less that same story. And a revisitation of prior work obviously means going back over a story that previously existed. So in standard cases where a film adapts a book, it can be said to be a deliberate, announced and extended revisitation of a prior work. And that means, by Linda Hutchins' definition, some of these EC comic versions of Ray's stories are adaptations. They were deliberate, they were announced as being based on the story by Ray Bradbury, they were extended, they were full-length versions of the story, and they are revisiting pre-existing material. But what about those stories where EC ripped off Ray Bradbury? They wouldn't be counted as adaptations under Linda Hutchins' definition. For example, when EC Comics took Ray's story The Emissary and they ripped it off into a comic strip called What the Dog Dragged In, they didn't put Ray's name on it. It wasn't announced. They kept quiet about the fact that they were adapting. So that one looks for all the world like an adaptation, but it isn't an adaptation according to Linda Hutchins' definition. Now, the only reason I bring this up is that when Linda Hutchins' book came out in 2006, it very quickly became a go-to work for academics studying adaptation. She's very widely cited. But there is a gap in Linda Hutchins' theory, and it is the gap into which all of these rip-offs fall. Fair enough, she wasn't interested in studying those, but it's always made me wonder, what should we call those adaptations which keep quiet about their origins? 
Anyway, let's continue through Home to Stay. The next grouping of stories in the book are the EC adaptations of the Martian Chronicles. And there are five stories there, Mars's Heaven, The Silent Towns, The Long Years, There Will Come Soft Rains, and The Million Year Picnic. Just those five stories alone make for a very strong adaptation of the Martian Chronicles as a whole. And there's also a rip-off story, uh, which Home to Stay calls a Martian Chronicles variation. And that's the story Mad Journey, which is clearly based on Ray's story, The Earthmen. Then they go on to a batch from The Illustrated Man, starting with Home to Stay, which I've mentioned previously, and then Zero Hour and Outcast of the Stars, which is also known as The Rocket. Oh, and they have a rip-off piece, which EC Comics called He Walked Among Us. Any idea which Ray Bradbury story that is? He Walked Among Us? Yeah, it's a rip-off of The Man. And then they go into some stories from the golden apples of the sun, Touch and Go, uh, which is also known as Fruit at the Bottom of the Bowl, The Flying Machine, and The Sound of Thunder. And of course, Golden Apples of the Sun would have been the last Bradbury short story collection published within the same sort of time frame as these EC comics of the early 1950s. Just listing the stories like this, but also grouping them together under the various headings, you can see that Home to Stay really does capture the essential Bradbury. If you were to put together a greatest hits collection of Bradbury short stories, most of these would be in there, I'm sure. These are classics, and the comic adaptations of them are very good. Very nice artwork, very efficient, very clean visual tellings of the stories, and quite literate as well. They're well-written adaptations, sometimes using dialogue and narration taken directly from the original short story. Home to Stay continues with a sort of a, a ragbag category called Other Official Adaptations, and a few more rip-off stories. And probably the funniest one is one called The Jellyfish, which is inspired by Skeleton. Finally, at the tail end of the book, there are some more articles. There's uh, the transcript of a talk that Ray gave at a convention, I think around about 1970, and it's called I Didn't Have $2,000 Thinking Money. And this is Ray, in his own words, talking about how he discovered that EC were ripping him off and what he did about it. And then there's an article called Ray and the Pulps by Ted White, which is an appreciation of Ray and his stories. And there's some comments from readers of EC Comics. And finally, an article on the EC artists. And possibly the most exciting part of the book, if you're already familiar with the strips, is that it collects some original artwork. So they present the long years in the form of the original story art by Joe Orlando, for example. They reproduce the covers of some of the EC magazines and some original cover art, so you can see not only the finished version of the cover, but also the preliminary work, the painting, originally done by the artist. Now, to say something about the artists represented here, it really is a, a who's who of comic book art in many ways. And I was quite pleased to see that at the end of the book there is a, a short biography of each of the artists represented. Some of these names may be more familiar than others, depending on how much you know about comics. Uh, I personally don't know a huge amount about comics, 
but some of these names leapt out of the page at me. Um, Al Feldstein, who I've already mentioned, Frank Frazetta, Al Williamson, Wally Wood, for example. The Home to Stay hardcover is very nicely put together. It's got glossy pages. It's oversized compared to some previous collections of EC comic strips. So you're getting these in a decent size. And for once, I can even praise the ebook version. Now, generally, I'm a fan of ebooks. I find them very convenient. But when you've got a book which is graphics heavy, they don't always convert well into an ebook. And in this particular case, I bought the Kindle version of Home to Stay, and I feared that I might be wasting my money because standard Kindles, and I'm talking about hardware Kindles with e-ink, those standard Kindles are traditionally not so good at handling graphics. And probably worse than that, ebook publishers are not very good at making their graphics-heavy ebooks truly Kindle compliant. But on my e-ink Kindle, well, I don't get great results, but it is possible to not only step forward page by page so you get a sense of the layout of the comics, you can go in panel by panel, which means you get a decent close-up of the artwork and the text. It's not the perfect way of reading a book like this, but it is possible to read the book and get some enjoyment from it. And on the Kindle app, so that's running on a PC or a tablet, it works very well indeed. Not only can you easily zoom in on any part of the page as you normally would, you can again navigate panel by panel if you wish. And of course on a PC or a tablet you also get to see colour where it is used, and it is used in a number of places in the book. So full marks to the publishers for, I think, optimising this book for the Kindle. As I say, it's not perfect, but it's probably as good as it can be, given the limitations of e-ink hardware. Of course, the price you pay for a high-quality production is, well, a high-ticket price. So this is not a cheap book by any means. Maybe we can hope that if this hardcover sells well, they'll put out a softcover version in the future. Or maybe with time we will see prices dropping but at the moment the book's only been out for a, a month or so and it's quite expensive. So Home to Stay is out there in the world. You can order it from all the usual outlets and I'll put some links on my blog at bradburymedia.co.uk and the Jerry Wiest book that I refer to, Bradbury and Illustrated Life, is still out there. I've seen copies going at some knockdown prices, at least here in the UK, where in the past I've even seen it in those kind of discount book outlets, you know, the ones where they sell remaindered stock. It's not easy talking about a visual medium on an audio podcast, but I hope you've found something of interest in this discussion of Ray, EC Comics and Home to Stay. That's it for now. See you next time on Bradbury 100. If you enjoy Bradbury 100, please give me a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. A five-star review will help others to find the podcast. 
Bradbury 100 is presented and produced by Phil Nichols. Music is provided by Purple Planet at purpleplanet.com. Please subscribe to or follow the podcast using your podcast app. You can find us on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all good podcast places. And don't forget to look for my Bradbury 101 series on YouTube and my other audio podcast, Science Fiction 101. For information on all of these and an endless supply of information about Ray Bradbury and his works, head to my website, bradburymedia.co.uk.